0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, August 8th, 2008. I'm Alana Rangi. It's the fourth largest island in the world and one of the most biodiverse places on the planet. And yet the last you probably heard about Madagascar was in its DreamWorks animated film form. For New Yorkers, that all changed in June when the Bronx Zoo opened its new Madagascar exhibit. Having not been to the zoo in a while, I felt inclined to check it out. There I met Helen Crowley, who spent much of her life leading conservation projects in Madagascar. She showed me everything from stripy-tailed lemurs to the unusual creatures that hunt them and gave me the lowdown on conservation efforts in one of the most uniquely biodiverse countries in the world. This week, while you're listening, check out some of the photos of the animals Helen describes in our multimedia slideshow. Online at scienceandthecity.org podcast. Love Science in the City podcasts? Support them by becoming a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. Visit scienceandthecity.org. My name is Helen Crowley. I was the country
1: program director of the Madagascar program for Wildlife Conservation Society, living out in Madagascar for five and a half years. I'm now in the Bronx Sioux, which is the headquarters of Wildlife Conservation Society, and this is where we manage a lot of, obviously, the captive population of animals, but also a big field conservation program. We're standing in the new Madagascar exhibit at the Bronx Zoo. When you first come in, one of the most important things is to locate Madagascar. Quite a few people don't seem to know where it is, even though there's been a film about it. and People don't realise that it really is real. It's got sort of this magical quality about it. So it's important to show people that it is real. So you have this great map. And it shows that this huge island, it's actually the fourth largest island in the world off the coast of East Africa, so off the coast of Kenya and Tanzania and Mozambique. The thing that's really important to know about Madagascar is that it's been separated from Africa, from India, from Australia for tens of millions of years. When the big Gondwana land, the big ancient land of, of all the continents together started breaking up, About 150 million years ago, 180 million years ago, Madagascar started breaking away. So basically it's been isolated for anywhere between 90 and 110 million years. Now that's a long time. There's a lot of evolution that can happen in that time. And so it's a very important thing to understand about Madagascar. It's the island, it's the isolation, which has really provided a place where you get very, very unique assemblages of animals and plants. And basically when you go to Madagascar, 90%, 9 out of 10 of every species you see whether plant or animal only occurs in Madagascar. I mean, I always loved animals. I always knew I wanted to be a wildlife biologist and do something out in Africa or somewhere. And I read Gerald Darrell books, and I don't know if you know, you know Gerald Darrell, maybe it's the era of my youth, but they're wonderful stories about animals and places and very funny and true stories about where he grew up where he visited and uh, he in the 60s would collect some rare animals and brought them to his zoo which became famous the jersey zoo in jersey the channel islands became famous for captive breeding of endangered species in the 60s and 70s that was very much what a lot of zoos did and Gerald Darrell sort of kept inspiring me by reading these stories to go to these places. You know, and I read about Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey and Baruti Galdekas, who worked on orangutans. And then I went to Jersey Zoo and I did a course on captive breeding. And during that, I fell in love with lemurs. They have the most beautiful lemurs. And so that's it, Madagascar. And being an island person like from Tasmania, I thought that's the place. So I headed off there and uh, I met Alison Jolly, who's a famous primatologist that works on lemurs. And we got together and I ended up finding a project in managing a small reserve in the south. And from then on, things went from one thing to another. And of course, I fell in love with Madagascar. There's a saying that if you drink the water there, you're always going to come back, and uh, you do.
0: OK, shall we have it?
1: Yep. Wildlife Conservation Society, it's one of the oldest organisations that work in conservation in the world. It started as the New York Zoological Society in 1899, and it has been doing research, conservation, and captive management ever since and more recently it has started a very big global conservation program over the last 20 years and we now work in 70 countries around the world and we have country programs in about 50 of those. So what we have in Madagascar is a country program where we work on quite a lot of different projects from policy to environmental education to research. The first two years that I spent in Madagascar I spent in this spiny forest, which is this dry forest down in the south of Madagascar, in the rain shadow area behind the eastern forests. So in the eastern forest, you have the wet tropical forest. And as soon as you move over that into the flatter land, very, very dry. And it only gets something like 300 millimetres of rain a year. So we're really talking a desert. And it's full of baobabs and these spiny plants that are called alualdia. The family is didieraceae, and again, it's one of these families of plants that are only found in Madagascar. It looks like a cactus, but in fact it's a woody plant. It's very important for the people that live there because they use it to make charcoal for their cooking and their heating, and they use it to build their houses. You have ring-tailed lemurs, that live in big family groups along the edges of rivers in this forest. Lemurs are primates, and they're only found in Madagascar. They're, sometimes they're described as the, very like the ancient form of primate that then later evolved into monkeys and apes and so on. But in Madagascar, they stayed and they evolved into this group of primates but that look, have a lot of ancestral features. They have like a wet nose, like a dog... They use a lot of scent as a communication and so on. So they have things that are very different to other groups of primates. They'll come out in a minute. The ringtails are very distinctive. You can't miss them. A friend of mine, a great lemur biologist called Alison Jolly, who has spent decades in Madagascar studying ringtail lemurs, calls them a lemur designed in France because they're very chic-looking. There's beautiful faces, little foxy faces with black raccoon-like faces, and then beautiful black-and-white stripy tails that are like a question mark. They've just been let out after sleeping in the back during the night, and now they're excited. The interesting thing about this lemur species is that it's a female-dominated species, so it's the girls that run the show. It's, the, it's the, the girls, it's the mums and their daughters, it's the aunts and the nieces that really run the show. That means they determine where they go, what they do. They're the first to the resources, they're the first to the water, they're the first to the food, and they have to eat first and then the boys have to wait. So they're very really interesting social system and you can find them in groups of anything from four up to 24 their hands their hands and feet are just lovely i mean their primate hands although a little different to to more evolved primates there aren't that many predators of lemurs sure small lemurs you know there's hawks and there are owls and things like that for small lemurs and there is a type of raptor that looks for the lemurs that live in tree trunks and so on and so forth that forages around there to find lemurs so there are some predators historically there probably were more predators there probably were very big type of raptors but there aren't many in Madagascar and that's sort of part of the uniqueness of the fauna there but this guy is really fantastic well this girl that we're looking at is a fusa or a fuso this is the most bizarre animal very beautiful I think but very weird looking and this animal It looks like a mixture of a panther, of a dog, of uh, what would you say? You can see it here. Yeah, she's sleeping, so it's hard to see. There's a picture over there. She's curled up. They live pretty solitary. They're really good at climbing trees, and they basically chase lemurs through the trees. And they've got these long tails that help them balance. And they basically chase the shifak in the dry forest through the trees to catch them, to eat them. because of that is the red rough lemur call that's like wow i'm out what's going on here i am something something's upsetting me or something's just not right so they just want to let each other know where they are also with that call it's like they're active and they're really active here they've come out and they're having breakfast and these guys are very beautiful these are fluffy russet red with tufty ears and long black tails you have to come and see these ones to really appreciate how exquisite they are and they live in one part of madagascar they live in the northeast of madagascar in mishwala peninsula the big hook on madagascar and it's very lush rainforest and that's where they live they eat the fruit and the leaves of the rainforest high in the canopy now, Masoala is a very special area. It's one of the richest areas in, for plants and animals in Madagascar. And that actually is the area where the Wildlife Conservation Society started its conservation work and helped create a national park there that there wasn't there before in 1997, and we've been there ever since. The country program in Madagascar, it's about 90 Malagasy national staff and several different sites. The place we started in Madagascar was in Masoala Peninsula, in the early 90s, Claire Kremen, who's now a professor at Berkeley, started there doing research on butterflies and butterfly diversity and found that this was incredible, this place. It had not just amazing butterflies, it had amazing everything. And she was funded by WCS. And like a lot of WCS projects, they often start as a research well, back in the day, they did. And then they grow into a conservation program because you find these beautiful places and you think, OK, we've got to keep these beautiful places. Let's not just stay researchers. Let's do more. So that's why Claire helped guide it towards being created as a national park. And then her successor, Matthew, took that on. And so by 1997, it became the largest national park in Madagascar. And the first one that was really designed in a very sort of careful way where it looked at where people were living and their needs and then what we needed to save as far as biodiversity. So that is a very special place and we continue to work there and we continue to um, strengthen the program, strengthen the relationships with the communities strengthen the research, and work very closely with the National Parks Authority so that they can take on more and more of the management. There is now this new program that has come out of Mashwala called Makira. And that is very interesting because that's a different way of tackling protected areas. We're working much more sort of from the outside in, which is what conservationists are doing more and more, working with the communities around as sort of a green belt of protection for this core forest within. And then the other important thing about Makira was that it was one of the first protected areas to be launched and to be worked on after the Durban Vision. Now, the Durban Vision was a vision of the president of Madagascar, a vision of sustainable development conservation that he launched at the World Parks Congress in Durban, South Africa in 2003. And he committed to triple the protected areas of Madagascar, to triple the area from 2 million hectares to 6 million hectares which is a pretty impressive thing to do in a country like Madagascar. And it's an inspiring thing, and I think other countries around the world who are more developed could learn something from that. So that would mean 10% of the land surface would be protected in some way, shape or form. Because there is not much forest left, that's a big percentage of the remaining forest. We think we've lost about 80% of the forest in Madagascar, so we've only got 15 20% left. So Makira is a new model, for conservation in Madagascar and is looking at the ways that we can work with communities in different ways, different approaches to do conservation and to improve livelihoods. There's this great exhibit here where there's a huge egg, absolutely huge, and when you touch it, behind it you see what laid the egg. There's basically like an X-ray of what laid the egg. And what laid the egg was a giant elephant bird the egg is the biggest egg ever, as far as we know, ever in history, and certainly in the recent history. Apparently, you can make something like 300 omelets out of it, but only anyone's tried. <laughs> and the giant elephant bird lived across the plains of Madagascar until quite recently, until several hundred years ago. Early explorers talk about it, and it was probably a combination of being hunted out and losing its habitat to fire and so on, that it died out. There are lots of skeletons of the elephant bird that they've found, and from that they can tell how big the egg would have been. And, you know, in southern Madagascar, you can walk around and actually find big spits of this eggshell that's one of the species that has become extinct in the last several hundred years. This is where I have to be realistic. I think we're on the cusp of turning it because of this presidential and government mandate and commitment to make more protected areas, and, to, and that that is fundamental to the development of their country, that the protection of natural environments is an important part of developing because we need those environmental services and we need the way that we're doing conservation to work with local communities. So I think we're heading in the right direction. The thing that worries me the most are the global issues that can sweep away the local successes, that you can make a protected area and it's great, but that climate change and what's going to happen with climate will just sweep it away or that mining or, or resource extraction will become much more of an important force in this particular area. I think the way you're going to get people to change and understand and make a difference in our world is by inspiring them and showing them that there's good things out there. It's not by panicking them, because if you panic and you say, oh, well, I can't do anything anyway, I'll just keep doing what I did, and You've got to show people there's a way forward and that, that you can make a difference and that these countries like Madagascar are really important for everybody. Even if you'll never get there or whatever, they're, they're important places for the world. Realistic, and you got to present the challenges, which I think this exhibit does, but absolutely talking about how you can make a difference. Or at least that's, that's how I live my life.
0: Thanks for listening. Love Science in the City podcasts? Support them by becoming a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. Visit scienceandthecity.org and click join now. Did you know you can subscribe to Science in the City podcasts on iTunes and get our newest story every week downloaded automatically to your iTunes library? Search Science and the City in your iTunes search bar. Have questions or comments about our show? We'd love your feedback. Send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or leave a voicemail at 212-298-8654. Want to know more about science in New York? Visit scienceandthecity.org. See you next week.